0: Fearscape Media Network, exploring the unknown,
1: one podcast at a time. Hey everybody, it's Josh Rutledge, your co-host for Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to support us more, please head over to our website, fearscapepodcast.com there you can click on store and browse some really awesome t-shirts and maybe pick a couple up or even go to our patreon page and see how you can support us monthly we love bringing you awesome content just as much as you like listening to it enjoy the show coming
0: to you from nowhere a suburb of parts unknown Join Stefan and Lance, the Misters of the Dark, as they review all things horror with their latest victim. (laughs) I mean guest. (laughs) New episodes of Misters of the Dark drop Mondays on the Fearscape Media Network.
2: Hello. I'm so glad you could join us. I hope you brought your blanket to hide under. The spooky crew is going to discuss things and events from other realms. Ghosts. Cryptids. Aliens. Be sure to hold your blanket extra tight as the boys take you deep. To the Fearscape, fearscape, fearscape.
3: <laughs> Welcome back ladies and gentlemen To another frightening and mysterious episode of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast Here on the Fearscape Media Network I am your host Stefan Gearhart And I am joined as always by the man with the plan And the swifty right hand, Mr. Josh Rutledge <laughs>
1: Why? Thank you. Um, I, I am swift when I'm shifting through gears with my manual transmission. You
3: are, and yeah. when you smack me in the back of the head when I've said something inappropriate <laughs> in front of your mother. So yeah. So yeah, you're you're good at that. Uh, we got a really cool episode today. We've got a getting spooky episode with uh, I would say America's leading cryptozoologist expert, Mr. Ken Gerhardt. Not my cousin. Um, yeah. Like I told Keith. I told Keith. I when, mean, <laughs> he he could be way down the line. Yeah, he could know. be um, different spelling. But when Keith first uh, talked to us about uh, Sky, you know, which we, we knew who he was, but he's like, he hits us up. He's like, oh, you, you know, do you, you, you want me to reach out to Ken Gerhard And I said, oh, no, man, he's my cousin. He's like, are you are <laughs> you serious? Oh, my God. I, I didn't even know that, man. I'm so sorry. He's going on and on and on. I go, Keith, I'm just joking. It's spelled different. He's like, you
2: son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Owl.
3: So, <laughs> Dag Nabbit, yeah. Dag Nabbit, uh, Josh. Though I know that earlier today you were talking to me about something that you just wish people would do. Uh, you know, w- in terms of our podcast.
1: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's, it's, you, know it, <clears throat> you had to jog my memory because it seems like I say it so much that it just be second nature by now. But yeah, I mean, I, I would really love it if people would just go out there in any place that you can review the show, uh, and share it and like it. And just tell all your friends about it. When you all get together on your Zoom COVID meetings and talk about your week, say, "Hey, have you guys heard of Fearscape Paranormal Podcast?" It's the greatest thing in podcasting.
3: <laughs> it is indeed. Uh, and in fact, we have a contest uh, for our episode for Ken Gearheart. Um He's got a book that he has given to us that he has signed, and we wanted to give away to one of our listeners. Um, and so to do that, we wanted you guys to uh, get out there and share the the post that's either on the Fearscape Media Network uh, or on the Fearscape podcast. Uh, podcast page, or on Twitter, or on Instagram, whichever one is sharing the episode, we want you to share out that episode, and you can hashtag crypto, I don't know, what is it? Hashtag uh, crypto Ken.
1: Yeah. Crypto and if Ken. you
3: hashtag CryptoKen, that way we can take a look and see who's done that. Um, we'll choose one lucky winner, we'll reach out to you, and you'll get a signed copy of his book...
1: Which is uh, The Essential Guide to Bigfoot.
3: Which is absolutely phenomenal. We have copies as well. Yeah. Um, very, very cool book. So, I and mean, this, this dude knows it all. And I
1: know we have listeners that are international. I mean, we'll we'll even make arrangements to ship international.
3: Absolutely, yeah. We'll take care of you. And let me tell you, you know, Josh was saying, if you'd like and review... That can help your chances too. I'm just saying. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I man, if you throw a review in there as well, it could help your chances. But yeah, remember, uh, we're going to be doing this for uh, probably about a week. Um, so, uh, once the next episode drops next Wednesday, that's when the contest will end. Yep. Because, um, you know, we've got a week to market these things. So, you got a week. Remember, hashtag crypto. That's C R Y P T O K E N. Crypto Ken. So, uh, and not, not, um, cryptocurrency. No. (laughs) So I, I, and I wanted to use crypto, not cryptid, because I don't want you guys to think Ken is a Bigfoot. So, uh, (laughs) um, but anyway, so yeah, crypto Ken anyways. Um, but yeah, we got a fun episode, like share, review all that stuff. But before we get to our, uh, sweet getting spooky with Ken, let's move into our segments for this week so we can get rolling. And the first one as usual is the psychic word of the week. And, uh, the psychic word of the week. All right, so you guys know we uh, have our. Uh, book here, the Encyclopedic Psychic Dictionary from June G. Bletzer, PhD. Rest in peace, honey bear. Um, We flip through her pages until we psychically just feel, okay, this is a good spot to stop. I've landed on the very first page of the letter K, and uh, the first uh, phrase here that I see is called Kung Healer, and that's K-U-N-G Healer, so like Kung Fu, but the term comes from the Kalahari Desert. Hmm. What it says is, uh, a Kung Healer is an accomplished psychic who cures disease by treating the patient's lifestyle, attitudes and their resulting physical effects through the knowledge of N-U-M- And so that's actually N forward slash U M energy. I'm not familiar with that, Um, but it says the healer forces the N U M energy at the base of his spine to boil up and travel up the spine to the head by constant excited tribal dancing. When he reaches a state of transcendence or painful ecstasy, his psychic powers are accelerated so he can diagnose the conditions causing the disease and then channel healing energies to the patient. So, very, very interesting. So uh, I'm gonna see if NUM is in here real quick because I'm curious. It sounds like some other things that I'm uh, into.
1: Well, I, I googled it. Did you? Um, what's a, I'm, what's, I'm reading. What's a Google? <laughs> I'm reading through. Yeah, this you know plug for Google.
3: Yeah, I got NUM here too. Okay, so. go for it. Uh, Well, because, you know, what's Miss Bletzer have to say? Um, So she says that uh, NUM is an energy in the body that can be used for healing, concentrated at the pit of the stomach and the base of the spine. This energy is heated to a boiling point to make it rise up the spine by singing, rhythmic dancing, and desire of the tribe to heal the sick. Healer must have thoughts that are nothing in the head to make the energy useful. When it reaches its head, it can be used to heal members of the tribe. Sometimes healer loses control because the overwhelming power but the tribe members step in to rescue and after healer drinks cool water he is ready to proceed so it seems a lot um, similar to kind of like chi energy but um, with this uh, this idea that it can take over
1: well it, it, what's interesting was when I googled NUM options came up for NUM chi NUM energy mm-hmm. NUM chi energy so I wonder if the interchangeable
3: yeah it very much could be Very, very, very much could be. Um, So, yeah, that's Kung. Uh, Is that what it's called? Kung Kung Healer. Kung Healer, that's right. So, this is the actual person here. And and it does, I will say this um, the reason it's at the beginning of the chapter is because it has one of those, um, uh, it's got an exclamation point at the front of it. So that's very interesting. I don't know what the importance of that is. So, uh, But, yeah, very, very interesting. A very interesting form of healing. You know, when I look at it, I'm like, with things like Reiki out there, um, I don't want to get myself hurt or get lost or have boiling energy running through me when yeah. I can just use the Reiki that exists. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I, g-
1: I guess I wonder if it's like almost like you're focusing. I
3: don't that. know. It sounded a lot like Shuriken. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like some street fighter too well, i guess for me it sounded more like uh, you're a lens okay and, yeah and you're focusing the energy right and spreading it through the group
3: yeah that's and, true too
1: and so it's not really like you're i mean the num does say that it's an internal energy but i mean isn't like all the energy that makes up the universe is all right which is what reiki is right.
3: essentially it's like you know but it's reiki um you're you don't use your own personal energy, you know. Um, but, I mean, this this uh, Kung energy could be a separate form as well. So, yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Very, very interesting. If anybody
1: happens to be some type of a shaman, would like to let us know.
3: Yeah. You out there in the Kalahari Desert, man? That's, that's what I want. Not the Kalamari, because that's not a desert. That's an ocean. Yep.
1: And just for anybody that might be thinking, N-U-M is not and M&M. Yeah.
3: <sighs> <laughs> yeah, and you, it's not Nexium either. Yeah. Uh, that's a cult. All right, uh, so let's go ahead and move right into spooky news because I got two stories this week, two, and you'll—the the first one you'll understand why. All right, so for spooky news this week, like I said, I got two stories, and I was only going to do one, um, but <laughs> this one came across my desk at the last at the last minute and it's just too coincidental so if you recall last week's uh episode where we had a woman in russia that was in the morgue and woke up and uh was not dead well something similar happened again (laughs) so this time i think it was in america okay so the headline reads dead woman found to be breathing at detroit funeral home Interesting So Detroit Hey um, So it says A young woman Who was declared dead At her suburban Detroit home Opened her eyes At a funeral home Right as she was about To be embalmed
1: Wow <laughs> Yes. Right Yeah well at least That's, that's when they caught it so. Yeah
3: So uh, Jeffrey Figer I'm not sure who he is But Jeffrey Feiger says They would have begun Draining her blood To be very very frank about it Had she not woke up The Southfield Fire Department acknowledged it was involved in a bizarre set of events Sunday that began when a medical crew was summoned to a home where a 20-year-old woman was unresponsive. Paramedics tried to revive her for 30 minutes and even consulted an emergency room doctor, the department said. The doctor then pronounced the patient deceased based upon medical information provided from the scene. The Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office said the body could be released to the family without an autopsy, according to the fire department. But then came a startling discovery at the James H. Cole Funeral Home in Detroit. The woman was still alive more than an hour later. Our staff confirmed she was breathing and called an emergency medical crew, the funeral home said. Feiger, who was hired by the family, identified the woman as Tamisha Beauchamp. Um, or Beecham, uh, they were about to embalm her, which is most frightening. Had she not opened her eyes, the funeral home was unzipping the body bag literally. And that's what happened to Tamisha and seeing her alive with her eyes open, Figer said, uh, my heart is so heavy. Someone pronounced my child dead, and she's not even dead. This was Beecham's mother, Erica Lattimore. Southfield said it's conducting an internal investigation, but insisted that the fire and police departments did indeed follow uh, procedures correctly. So,
1: Well, I mean, I, I think this is, this is a story for the testament of Detroit. A lot of people thought it was dead,
3: <laughs> but
1: it opened its eyes.
3: It did, it did, and it is back full fury with its mother standing behind it. <laughs> Ooh, lordy! Um, but yeah, so two in a row. Yeah, two, uh, the re—that's the reason I grabbed it and wanted to use it again because this is two. Yeah. In a row within a week
1: makes me wonder if, like, you know, people are trying weird foods at home or I'm, something. I'm it's just like-,
3: like the crazy evangelicals out there. They might see this as the dead rising from the grave, and uh, it's Armageddon, y'all. Get get, get yeah get, get your guns. We need
1: <laughs> we need. Uh, bruce willis to get on a a, a, like a spaceship and and plant a nuclear weapon inside of a comet
3: (laughs) yes detailed and uh legit (laughs) (laughs) you know you, you do what you gotta do man but um yeah stay in your church okay this ain't this ain't the real this ain't the this ain't it anyways uh so the main story i wanted to talk about is definitely an odd one uh, so, anyways, my second story is the main one that I wanted to talk about. It's a creepy, weird one. Um, because even, the
1: last one wasn't
3: right. Well, this is just this is a little <laughs> uh, more UAP kind of related. Matt Tiller even sent this to me, but I had already I had already gotten wind of it. Um, but the <laughs> the headline reads, and you may have heard this already: airline pilots landing at LAX report a guy in a jetpack flying alongside of them. Even in an era in which Congress wants to openly investigate UFOs, a guy flying alongside an airliner over Los Angeles in a jetpack is still bonkers now um i've seen a number of other articles but i like this guy he does more of an editorial on it and it's funny um and this comes from the drive.com uh but he says as if 2020 couldn't get any weirder airline pilots landing at los angeles international airport on sunday august 30th reported seeing a guy in a jetpack flying about 300 yards off their wing while on final approach to the bustling airport but what makes the reports even stranger is is that the airliners were descending through 3,000 feet when Jetpack Guy showed up next to them. Uh, Fox 11 broke the story and has the air traffic control audio clips, which you can listen to. Um, Matt even sent me a video where it has some stuff on there. You can listen. There's no video to see, but you can hear the audio. But their exchanges went a little something like this. Uh, American Flight 1997 says Tower. American 1997, we just passed a guy in a jetpack." Tower says American 1997. Okay, thank you. Uh, were they off to your left or to your right? American Flight 97 says, Off to the left side, maybe 300 yards or so about our altitude. Uh, Fox 11 reports that a SkyWest pilot confirmed the sighting. SkyWest Flight says, we just saw the guy passing by us in a jetpack. Then the tower alerted an incoming JetBlue flight to the reported hazard. Tower says, JetBlue 23, use caution. A guy in a (laughs) jetpack has been reported 300 yards south of the LA final at about 3,000 feet, 10-mile final. JetBlue says, we heard that, and we're definitely looking. And another (laughs) pilot in another plane chimes in and says, Only in L.A. (laughs) (laughs) We know the
1: the really cool thing about this is is I didn't know that we had ever broken jetpack technology.
3: Well, and they talk about that. So it says there are a number of new jetpack-like designs that are remarkably capable, but all have very limited range, and most have only very low-altitude flight envelopes. Uh, Ives Jetman Rossi's winged jetpack Is definitely capable of such a feat But his flights have always occurred Under highly controlled And well coordinated circumstances And in sanitized airspace They are also very high profile in nature And require a mothership to launch from Such as a helicopter Or at least a very high point to jump from Um, You know and it goes on and on And talking about that stuff But needless to say This shouldn't have happened yeah. Um, so there are, of course, a lot of people on the ufology side that wonder, what exactly did they see? Was it a guy in a jetpack? Well, yeah. Um, You know, they're not sure. I mean, to me, it kind of sounds like Mothman, you know, for example. I mean, yeah. being up that high and, and things like that, and there's only one person that's capable of doing that. You said 3,000 feet, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... You'd have to have oxygen. Yeah, I don't think. I, yeah. I don't. I don't know what that would be. My little brother's not here to answer that. But yeah, regardless, like that's crazy. And I, I man, I really hope we uh, get to interview these pilots to to see. I mean, this one it was three hundred feet away from him, so it's like I want to know what was this dude wearing. Did it look like a guy?
1: Right. Did, was it at nighttime?
3: Uh, ba, 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 I don't think so.
1: I'm I not guess, sure. I well, was just the reason I'm asking is because I'm wondering, like at nighttime. To identify a guy in a jetpack, <laughs> uh, you would have only seen probably the, the flames coming out of the jetpack. Yeah. You know, um, unless he's wearing like a bright red, you know, orange jumpsuit or something.
3: I don't see whether or not it was night or day. This doesn't say. Um, but still. Yeah, but very, it just very makes me wonder
1: if it was during the day or, or at least late, maybe daylight hours, then they probably got a really good look at whatever it was. Right,
3: right. So. Yeah, because it doesn't talk about... Um, lights or anything like that um you know and you know other stories suggest other things um you know like social media stunts and and things like that but no one's this has been out a couple days now and no one's come forward yet so um if it was a social media stunt you think they'd want to come out with it
1: it was a fan
3: uh recreating the rocketeer yeah and they talk about that a lot too but uh, one of the videos tiller sent me I don't know if you're f- uh, familiar with the flying bruja video that came out years ago, um, where it looks like someone sitting essentially on a broomstick flying, um, but it's it's a very slow flight. Hmm. Uh, it's a, it's black. It, it's in Mexico, which is why they called it the bruja, um, and it's very similar. And and you know there are jetpacks that supposedly are very similar to that. Um, I,
1: I I wonder because I've also I also know that people. And I'm not necessarily trying to discredit mm-hmm. whoever, but I also know that people sometimes make things weird things to put drones inside of.
3: Right. You can see there that it looks like he's standing on something. Yeah. And and that to me is very similar to the Bruja video. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's
1: but I mean, it's like you know, did they did they take a a dummy and address it it. and make it look like it's flying but really it's like held up by a drone
3: yeah I I mean that's one thing that the the season finale of Unidentified did for me you know with those drones and the lights and the Mm -hmm. way they were able to sync up and just look like I mean essentially in the dark look like the ship from Close Encounters of the Third Kind yeah I mean that once again it makes me go stop stop doing things that (laughs) skeptics can say it's 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 not it you know, so, but anyways, we'll move on from that. Uh, very interesting. I'm sure we're going to hear more about Jetpack Guy. You say?
1: you say we'll move on from that? We'll
3: move on from that, <laughs> yeah. We'll move on from that into our UAP Sighting of the Week. All right, so you guys know we uh, pull out our UFO or UFO. Uh, UAP sighting of the week. Um, we find one. Where we are we on New Fork again this week?
1: Yep. <clears throat> right, I mean, so it's we... just an abundance of, of information. Great. So. Well, what do we got? Yeah. So this happened on August twenty third in London, Ontario. Uh, I've been there. That's pretty. So, and <clears throat> this is, I mean, pretty shocking. Um, so it, the summary is a large flock of chevron shaped UFOs appear after a comet
3: sighting. Oh wow! So let's so get. This in. was the comet. Yep. At approximately
2: 11 p.m. on the night of August 23rd, 2020, amateur astronomers viewing Jupiter witnessed a comet with a fiery trail to the left of Saturn, traveling downward in Saturn's direction. About a minute after the comet, three boomerang-shaped objects appeared traveling from the comet's direction toward the north. They were a dull orange color, slightly glowing. They flew together, but not in unison. Approximately 15 minutes later, ending at 1103, a second sighting was made by two of the three witnesses. There were an estimate of 50 to 100 of the same boomerang-shaped UFOs traveling in the same direction as the previous three. The UFOs made two scattered V-formations While traveling, ending the sighting, two of the UFOs from the large group traveled south, almost directly above the witnesses, moving much slower and then turned back north and sped away, disappearing into the sky. One of the three witnesses saw a large, hexagon-shaped object with no glow or light, leading the large group of UFOs. This is, sorry, a large hexagon-shaped object with no glow or
3: the So, excuse my language, but holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. And, dude, I swear, this is like the fourth or fifth in a row that's been chevron-shaped. Boomerang.
1: Yeah, well, and this is, this is reason. I mean, this is, yeah. you know, and I don't think this was the big comet that because that that was like when we were in point pleasant yeah and this was that was much earlier than august 23rd Mm, yeah but so this is just a comet that they that because there's always
3: yeah there's always stuff going on especially places you can see the (laughs) skies um
1: but yeah i mean this is uh this is pretty shocking and you've got more than one witness reporting it Mm -hmm.
3: um i mean this feels like a small fleet
1: yeah, well, it, so the skeptic in me, and I can hear skeptics, uh, if you're listening, probably saying the same. The skeptic being me th- maybe thinks geese because of the V formation. Sure, but the the thing that kind of gets me is that that some of them turn turn a different direction and then it, and then like turn around and fly back. Like geese just don't do that. They they typically fly in the same general direction, and the only time they they go away from that path as if they need to get to a water a body of water
3: and you know geese aren't solid all the way across and bright orange true you know and then the hexagon shaped one yeah you know like to me that automatically says you know you've got these points in this hexagon i mean i wonder how wide the chevrons were could is that where they're you know shot from essentially is like they've got these landing bays where they can go into the corners yeah you know i don't know it's it's interesting you know, maybe that could explain the fleet. Like, they all come from that ship.
1: So. Makes me wonder if, like, it's kind of like a kite tail. Yeah, yeah. Like, something like it pulls behind it to, I don't know for what purpose. But I mean,
3: it could be power. Yeah. I mean, you know. Right. Who knows? I don't know. I, I, very, very good sighting. I yeah. I mean, like I said, we've been seeing a lot of uh, Chevron-shaped boomerang ones. So Yeah.
1: Um. <laughs> it's definitely a new... Um, a new shape. I mean, the last season of of uh, unidentified even talked about mm-hmm. the new chevron shape.
3: And, yeah, the new chevron yeah. shape because uh, you know it went from triangles to chevron. So, right. um, I don't know. Keep your eyes to the skies, guys, and uh, let's go ahead and move right into creepy ketchup.
0: Creepy ketchup. Creepy ketchup.
3: Creepy ketchup.
0: Creepy ketchup. Y'all, it's creepy.
3: All right, creepy catch up where we talk about um, creepy things that have happened to us over the last week so, since we last met.
1: I'll go first because I really don't have anything. Okay, I have a really, f- I have just it's like a funny dream that I had last night. But life is so hectic right now with my kids being in homeschool and all this kind of stuff. It's just I. I feel unbalanced.
3: Right. So yeah. I, I I also feel unbalanced.
1: So. so um so mine is uh last night I had two dreams and both of them were funny. So in one dream, uh, me and you were in like I don't I don't know where we were. We were like in a downtown setting and we were driving around at night. And you got a call from Keith, and he said, "Hey man, uh, when the when the man in black shows up." Don't talk to him. <laughs> and we we're don't like Don't worry. <laughs> and we we're like, what is he talking about? And right about that time this guy walks up dressed like dark helmet from Spaceballs <laughs> and he's like, Give me all your money and we we're like, No and we're like, <laughs> he's like speed away. So that was the first one.
4: That's ridiculous. I know.
1: <laughs> the second one was um we had somehow arranged to have an interview with uh, with elon musk for 20 minutes um and so in the interview we talked to him about you know his theories around uh are we being visited about his comments about uh the the possibility that we're all living in a simulation Mm -hmm. well it it, it was it was just a really you know what you would probably talk to elon musk about in this type of show but it was just really cool that you know we're like interviewing Elon Musk for 20 minutes. And then he was like, okay, guys, we're, we're, we're running out of time. And so um, he's like, okay. You said, well, okay, we'll, we'll let you go then. And he's like, no, that's okay. We can keep going. So then we just.
3: <laughs> and then he jetpacks out of there past yeah, right. LAX. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. So that was my only two things.
3: Um, so I had um, some night hags again uh, this week. First time in a while. Um, two Two nights in a row. So the first one, I mean, they were both weird. Um, in, in a lot of ways, the first one was scarier. But um, so I was um, was asleep. I fell asleep on the couch watching TV, and um, I woke up. And you know, this, you know, I've I've said before that uh, there's a lot of correlation to uh, night hag happenings when you sleep on your back. Mm-hmm. And I don't tend to sleep on my back often unless I'm sleeping. Uh, In a recliner or something along those Lines or um, if I've reclined My bed I have one of those beds Uh, Things like that or I end up on my back Well anyways I'm I'm laying there and I woke Up I couldn't move same thing And standing to my left And to my right so my feet are sticking out On the recliner uh, there is a Tall dark figure with long Arms on either side with the Just dark red Eyes um, you know As usual and so uh, uh, Surprisingly I I remembered your words to, you know, to say, well, maybe it's there to help me, not harm me. Yeah. So I couldn't move my lips. I couldn't move my head. So I thought I'll speak telepathically. And so I think I said, um, are you are you good or are you bad or are you trying to hurt me or are you here to help me? And then uh, simultaneously, I hear two voices in my head say, uh, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm scared right now, but I'm not sure if I should trust you. The one on the left said, yes, you can absolutely trust me. Just don't trust him. And then reaches up and points to the guy next to him. And the guy next to him goes, no, 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 no. You should not trust him. He lies. I'm the one that you should trust. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm like, oh, no, oh, no, what's going to happen? And they're like, well, you better figure out which one uh, that you can trust or we're going to start doing what we do. And I'm like, what does that even mean? You know, like, I'm scared. I can't move. And then they go, does this make it easier? And then they stepped towards each other and merged into one being. And I was like, no. No. Now I can't trust you, and I'm supposed to trust you at the same time. And I was able to like, I don't know, like blink or move or something, and they were gone, and I was kind of woke yeah. up. But I thought that was really creepy and really weird.
1: Well, so so first of all, very cool that you interacted with your night hags.
3: Yeah, that's the first uh, I, like, for the I, most part.
1: I, like, I wonder how many people have actually had conversation with their night hags. Yeah, um, I mean, I
3: didn't hear anything; it was all in my head. Yeah, of but still,
1: you know. Uh, one could argue it's all, all in your head, anyways. Right. But um, it's still, very cool. I, I was thinking about this. Um, you have a history of sleep apnea, although you haven't had it since you yeah. lost since you had surgery. Right. Um, oftentimes, people with uh, sleep apnea don't get a lot of air in when they sleep on their backs. Right. So if you're <clears throat> suffering or or dealing with sleep paralysis and you're sleeping on your back and you're not getting enough air into your system, it's very possible or even plausible that you are hallucinating.
3: For sure, for sure. I mean, the, the, even then, I mean, that's the whole point, sleep paralysis. A lot of times when you're waking up, you're, your mind is still dreaming, yeah. um, so to speak, and you're having a waking dream, right. which is, in essence, a... Which is in essence a uh, hallucina- hallucination. Hallucination. Right. Um, so, but I mean, it's
1: just you know. So I mean, it, to me, it felt like a lot of um, the old uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon, where like there was the devil on one shoulder. Right. And the, yeah, it one. kind of
3: felt like that too, or like you know, in Buffy or something like that, where there's like two Xanders, and you got to yeah. figure out which one right. is the clone, which yeah. one's not. Um, so the other one that I had was uh, I was in my bed, and uh, I had woken up because my cat. Uh, likes to sleep on my stomach if I'm on my back, and so I happen to be on my back. She was sleeping on my stomach. Well, that woke me up, but I couldn't move. And there, at the edge of, edge of the bed, was a different creature, much shorter, um, black. Same, same, same difference yeah. though. Black, red eyes, and things like that. And um, and and I'm like, oh god. And I can't think because it really scared me on this one for some reason. It, this just felt different. Yeah. And I got really, really scared. And, um, I was trying to tell Leia my cat i was like I was trying to mentally tell my cat to go attack the shadow like to to get it and uh it like I look up at it and it shakes its head like no, and then it reaches and it taps the head of my cat, and all of a sudden, my cat has those big black eyes like the black eyed kids, yeah, and then it opens its mouth super large, and the noise comes out like.
2: Bruh!
3: I was like, "What the hell, man!" But it like that tone put me yeah. back to sleep, and uh, yeah, so that was weird.
1: <laughs> well, I've recently read that because uh, I was curious. My my daughter likes to terrorize both my cats, and so I was like, "When should I worry about my cat? You know, wanting to."
3: get revenge
1: yeah, yeah. They and will so do that sometimes and so i was reading and, and it said that basically you can tell by the cat's eyes mm-hmm. if a cat's pupils are super big mm-hmm. then they're in like hunt mode yep and so that's when you know to leave your cat alone yep so the fact that it touched your cat and they went to hunt mode means that your cat was like
3: in reactionary state mm. but i mean it filled the hole it was a little different but yeah i know exactly what you mean um, yeah, that's when I stopped messing with my other cat, Kyle. As soon as I see those pupils expand, I'm like, "All right, sorry, dude, sorry, yeah, dude, you're done." Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I had for creepy ketchup. Interesting for that to be back this week and twice. Um, yeah. But you know, like I said, I've been feeling unbalanced. I'm well, stressed about stressed, yeah. work and moving and, and all of that stuff. So. And you're sleeping on your back. Yep. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, but yeah, so uh, that that puts us here right at the ad break before we get into talking to Ken Gearhart. We got a great. Uh, interview with him. So uh, yeah, so make sure to stick around after the ad break and uh, get ready. Here comes Ken Gearhart. Fearscape Media Network is your new home for everything weird and enlightening. Check out podcasts and YouTube shows covering content from discussions on horror films to the paranormal to meditation. Find out more at fearscapemedia.com.
1: Hey everyone, Josh here. Do you feel like mainstream options for things such as yoga, meditation, or documentaries and films meant to expand your mind are lacking? Have you heard of Gaia? Gaia is the largest resource of consciousness-expanding videos. Both Stefan and I have watched several of the series, documentaries, and films available on topics such as the secret space program, channeling interdimensional beings, and alien encounters. We're just now exploring the over 8,000 films, shows, and classes available to stream on your favorite devices. To get your 10-day free trial of Gaia, go to FearscapePodcast.com slash GaiaOffer. Again, that's FearscapePodcast.com slash G-A-I-A Offer.
3: All right. Thank you guys for uh, sticking around after the break. Uh, like we said, we are going to be getting spooky here with Ken Gerhard, uh, not my cousin. OK, though, we should be. Um, <laughs> we look like brothers. Uh, but no, uh, we have here a cryptozoologist, just an all around cool guy, author, uh, TV guy, all kinds of stuff. Ken, thank you so much for uh, coming on Fearscape.
4: Well, good evening, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on your show, and it's definitely an honor and a pleasure to be here with you tonight. So excited awesome. to talk to you!
3: Yes, and uh, we're excited to talk to you, man. We <laughs> we have been digging hard into the cryptid field lately, of late, and uh, so we we'd love to just get some uh, answers from you towards the end about some stuff we've been uh, messing with and some talking theories, with, some theories yeah. and things like that. But you know. I know that our audience would like to, you know, let's, let's knock out the, the origin story, get it out of the way for people that don't know you. Um, you know, how did you get into all of this? Was there something that happened to you, uh, when years ago or whatever that led I mean, you to get into this field?
1: Are you second cousin to Bigfoot? I mean, I just...
3: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: no, no, I didn't have that, uh, epiphany that a lot of researchers have that none of those life changing events in terms of, uh, of an encounter. Um, it's really just been a lifelong passion of mine, and um, you know what I always tell people is, when I was growing up, um, I was, uh, you know, my two of my loves as a kid were animals uh, and creatures. My my father was a forestry professor, so I spent a lot of time in the outdoors, and I had cool. exotic pets like caiman alligators and things ah, like that, snakes that's and. Awesome. And I also love monsters, uh, monster movies, Godzilla movies and yes. all those the all that stuff. So when I first heard about cryptozoology and that, I guess that wasn't a word I heard right away, but when I first learned about Bigfoot, when I was a kid, uh, about right. eight or nine years old, I mean, it was like, you know, I was in heaven. I mean, here you had a monster that was also possibly an animal or, or a right. creature and right. it was just kind of combined all those things. And, um, My mother was a huge influence. She used to tell me about the Yeti and the Mothman and all these different, you know, she liked to, she really encouraged my interest in all that kind of stuff. But more importantly, she was a travel agent. uh, And uh, back when that was a thing, I don't know if it still is, but. uh, It
3: is, but not like it used to be. (laughs) She
4: she loved it. She was very adventurous and uh, she honestly wanted me to be an archaeologist, but she would take me, she took me all over the world. I got to camp uh, along the Amazon River with oh. primitive tribes. I hiked across Australian desert. We went to Africa, Asia, all these places. Uh, and by age 15, I was at Loch Ness in Scotland and uh, trying, attempting field research as a teenager mm-hmm. with, a, with a movie camera and, and talking to locals and stuff. So Ooh. I never planned this as a, as a career path. It's just been a lifelong passion and interest of mine. And I just feel very blessed. I've had some amazing opportunities. You know, years ago, I started doing Bigfoot field research here in North America with different people. And I started writing books. And, you know, I, I got a lucky break and got onto the Travel Channel years ago and started doing TV shows, too. So it's 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 been a fun ride. And I just I love what I do.
1: Well, you know, they say that anything anytime you can find something that you love to do and make it a career uh that's always the best way to go so
3: yeah and I, i'll tell you what man you know. we love love your energy you know when we watch you on tv and uh just the, the energy you put in your books and things like that and having your background story explains a lot of that That so remarkable you know josh and i both have a lifelong um fascination of our respective things that we like as well it just always seemed to be something we were interested in with me with the occult and ghosts and him with ufos and things and um but yeah i want to live vicariously through your childhood
1: yeah i I don't i mean it's a canada one yeah I i was like i
3: grew up in toledo so we went to detroit a couple times
4: well guys One of the really exciting things for me these days, um, as I get older, is when I meet uh, fans that are eight years old, nine years old, and they're, you know, into what I do, and they're writing me letters or or drawing pictures of chupacabras for me, and, uh, (laughs) you know, I get to speak, I'm a volunteer at the San Antonio Zoo, and they let me talk to kids and classes, and I lead tours, and uh, I do some high school lectures. To, so whenever I meet young people that are interested in cryptozoology, yeah. that's what really gets me excited, you know, because I can see sure. myself in these young faces and their enthusiasm. And they're so knowledgeable these days, you know, with the internet and different oh, yeah. TV shows, they already know there's, if back you know when i was a kid growing up it was just you know you had to make a trip to the library every week and hope you yeah. could find the one bigfoot book or the or the yep. one loch ness monster book yep
1: <laughs> yeah that, so. my, i asked my parents for a bigfoot book uh, one time and they got me a book of bigfoot the monster truck so <laughs> oh, <boo.
3: laughs> Uh, but yeah, that was me too. I mean, I grew up. We didn't. I grew up in the '80s. You know, we didn't have any air conditioning in the house, so I spent my summers in the library. Mm. And I just, man, I just devoured that section of like paranormal, occult, you know, crypto stuff. I mean, I read every Bigfoot book. Yeah. And like you, I was a big into creature features and Godzilla and all that stuff. Um, my brother's uh, best friend, his sister worked, did a lot of special effects. Makeup in Hollywood, and so whenever she would come into town, she would show me pictures of like how these monsters would look before they put the makeup on, and all this. And I learned a lot about that, which explains my love of horror. I also host a horror podcast. I love horror, so um, Uh, I'm right there with you, man. Love love horror movies, especially creatures ones, man. I love monster movies; they're the best, especially the older ones. Oh, I love the older ones. (laughs) I just finally watched Boggy Creek for the first time. That was great.
4: Really. You yes. haven't seen the Legend of Boggy Creek before? I uh, wow. just
3: saw it for the first time about three months ago, and I was just—I was in love.
4: <laughs> well, I got to tell you guys, I'm a little older than you are, but it, a, a, a lot of researchers of my age in my generation, we we had the same influences, and one was the Legend of Boggy Creek, which came out mm-hmm. in the '70s, and of course the original uh, In Search of Television show that Leonard Nimoy yep, hosted.
3: I yep, I watched.
4: And there was actually. also. Mm-hmm. There was also a hit show when I was a kid growing up called The Six Million Dollar Man, and uh, there was a Bigfoot, some Bigfoot episodes on there. So all that stuff was kind of <laughs> happening. And like you guys, I mean, cryptozoology has always been my first love, but I also read books about the Bermuda Triangle and yeah, UFOs oh, yeah. and ghosts. I mean, I loved all, anything unexplained was was of interest to me. So. Yeah.
3: Wasn't there like a kid's show too that was like kind of like Shazam and all that stuff, but it was like a, a Sasquatch, um, like he would turn into a Sasquatch? It was that same like Saturday morning in the seventies. There, I can't think of what it's called.
4: I don't remember that one. I think I know what you're talking about. I I loved Land of the Lost, and of course they had that little uh, that little hairy uh, hominid. Uh, I forget his name. That that ran around with them well, probably so, along um, the same
3: companies that yeah. did all of those you know yeah. all of those saturday morning live action wasn't captain Kangaroo? <laughs> no no <laughs> it was it was something but yeah it was like a guy that would turn into a sasquatch and that was i think i remember that
4: one but I, I i guess i wasn't into <laughs> that one as much for for whatever reason or maybe yeah maybe it was yeah. a little bit after my time I don't yeah know. that captain or Caves it was man. like
3: <laughs> i think it was like a like i think it might have been like a smaller one like it was like you would see three different things each episode and that was maybe one of them or something who knows i don't know i i should know but i don't you probably should yeah. <laughs> so now i'm gonna look it up while we're talking because <laughs> that's what
4: i do
1: <clears throat> but um so that's how you kind of got interested in it and into it and i, I like Stefan said i'm super jealous of all the traveling that you got to do and all the places you got to go and see that's uh, so awesome. Although I also am a chicken shit. So uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have done a lot of the things that <laughs> that you did. Um,
3: oh, and I found guys, it. Guys, I got. In, sorry, go it's ahead. Big, it's Bigfoot and Wild Boy. It was one of those Croft Super Shows. Okay. I think Bigfoot I've heard of that one. Wild Boy. Yeah, it was part of yep. the Croft Super Show. That's what it was. Dunzo. All right.
4: <laughs> yep. Sid Marty Croft. I was just oh, going to yeah. say, I did get into a lot of trouble when I was a kid, especially when we went to the Amazon. Um, you know, I loved animals so much. And I remember um, we went out on a jungle hike one time and I picked up a tarantula, a wild tarantula off the ground. And um, <laughs> uh, the, the guy, our guide knocked it out of my hand and chopped it up with a machete. And he scolded me and said, don't touch anything. <gasps> And then a little while later, we were walking down the trail, and I saw this beautiful caterpillar. It was like this shaggy, woolly caterpillar with like green and purple and orange Mm -hmm. and all these colors. And I picked that up, and I thought, surely this this. And uh, apparently, it was deadly poisonous. And he knocked that out of my hand (laughs) (laughs) and chopped it up. So, so I was just—I don't know if I guess I wasn't too smart. If that was a little brazen, but um, lucky. Yeah, you know, I almost got into trouble a few times uh, like that. So.
1: Yeah, you know, when we when we moved we, we recently moved to a house that's more in the country than what we were living before. And we there was this really cool looking caterpillar that my kids were interested in, and they wanted to touch it. I was like, nah, let's just wait and see. So I, I looked it up, and it turns out it has spiny barbs that like get embedded yeah, in your skin and poison it. So I was like, Well, I'm glad we didn't touch that.
4: So yeah. <laughs> there you go. But yeah, you getting in trouble is the things... way to
3: go, man. You gotta you know, you gotta get out there. Those <laughs> are the type of people that, you know, do things that we wouldn't because right. they're willing and able to take risks that other people put yourself want.
1: in harm's yeah. way for the, <laughs> for the education
4: sure. of sure yeah that's how you uh, learning experiences experiences right and uh, as right. you go through life uh, the best way to learn is by screwing up so that's right
3: <laughs> well then I've learned a lot <laughs> <laughs> so um, talking
1: about oh, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about so your newest book. Uh, I know you've written a lot of books, uh, but the newest book that, that we picked up is The Essential Guide to Bigfoot. Um, and, uh, you know, we've got an autographed copy that we're going to be uh, giving away as part of the promotion for this episode. So thanks for cool. that. Oh, um, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, but um, I just want to, you know, just curious as to, you know, is it, uh, is it kind of a more of a a passion to write these books to educate others? Or is it also a little bit of self, you know, self uh, gratification to say that, you know, uh, I know this stuff and I'm going to put it out there for others to know as well?
4: (laughs) Well, um, it's partially my livelihood. So thank you guys for your for your support and anyone out there that that purchases a copy of my book. That's kind of how I I stay afloat. But, um, you know, I. I, I've never written a Bigfoot book, despite the fact that I'd researched and investigated Bigfoot for you know almost 40 years, all over North America, from Alaska to Florida to Central America. I've worked with all the top investigators in the field. I've interviewed hundreds of witnesses. So I had a lot of information about Bigfoot, but I just never really felt compelled to write a book. There's some some really excellent books, reference books out there on the subject. But I think what really inspired me to write the newest book was that Um, I'm just finding that there's just so much misinformation that's really being circulated out there because of the, you know, the wondrous uh, medium that we have here on the Internet. Um, Sadly, there's a lot of bad information out there, a lot of hoaxing, a lot of misunderstandings and misrepresentations. And I felt that it was very important to sort of push back against a lot of that and let people know, because a lot of people are interested in the subject of Bigfoot, but you know, they need to understand that the reality of the evidence, you know, what evidence has been found, uh, um, they need to understand that there are, there there have been decades of research that has been done by a lot of dedicated people that have spent decades, lifetimes looking, looking for this creature, and, um, you know, they have to understand that there, you know, there is a lot of hoaxing and a lot of, you know, just, yes. you know, a lot of falsehoods out yeah. there, you know, so... So I just wanted people that are truly, genuinely interested in the subject to have the most accurate information. And it's not just just my opinion, some of it is, and a lot of it is my personal research, but I try to also build a consensus opinion, if you will, borrowing from all of the top investigators in the field. And I interviewed, in fact, you know, about a dozen to maybe 18 of the top investigators in the world people that have spent their whole lives and are really, you know, look at this scientifically. And I tried to, there are a lot of things we don't agree on, but there are a lot of things that we all do agree on. And those were the things I tried to, you know, tried to bring together to sort of, you know, build this archetype for people. So, you know, what, what is, what does Bigfoot really look like? Uh, how big is it? How many are there population size? You know, what are their behavior patterns? Um, you know, things like that, the history, you know, of, of sightings and legends and, and native traditions and a lot of that stuff. So um, it's a primer, but uh, even a lot of my experienced veteran Bigfooter friends have found little nuggets of information, kernels of, of information in the book. that They were like, wow, I never heard this before. And That's so cool. I was able to kind of dig up some things as well that, that were kind of cool. Yeah. Lesser well, known things. <laughs>
1: I recently came across a, uh, a newspaper clipping that somebody had found from like the, I don't remember where it was some newspaper, but it was like 1876 where someone was reporting uh, a, a tall gorilla across the road or something like that. And, you know, somebody had, Proposed that maybe that was a Sasquatch sighting that was misinterpreted as a gorilla. Mm-hmm.
3: Well, I told you we um, where we lived in Campbellsville, Kentucky. Um, I used to work in the library, and we were going through the archive newspapers, and we found two sightings in 1898 of Yeti along Green Green River uh, from wow. like 1898, mm. some things like that. So every time we went out to like Green River Lake State Park and stuff, we'd always be like, "Be on the lookout! Yeah. <laughs> There's Yeti coming." But well, that remind—that's what I was going to say—is I know you had talked about. Um, what's the population things. But what about the, you know, is there's this possibility that there's different versions or species, subspecies, you know, we're in terms of Yeti and um, uh, versus a Sasquatch versus other things like that. How how do you feel about all of that?
4: No, that's a great question. Um, And it's something that's been discussed in the Bigfoot field for years because there are regionally, there are different types of physical descriptions that you get from place to place. (laughs) Um, so I tend to err on the more conservative side, typically when looking at these things and speculating about them. Um, so for example, Dr. Grover Krantz, who was a physical anthropologist who became one of the first scientists actively involved in Bigfoot research back in the sixties and seventies, you know, he, he had a good saying, which was if go to the scientific community at large and tell them there's a species of unknown prehistoric hominid running around North America, you're going to have a tough time convincing them. If you then try to tell them that there's three or four different kinds or species of unknown bellic hominids running around, you're, you know, you're just going to shoot yourself in the foot. They'll never believe you. You know, it's just, it's, it's highly improbable that Bigfoot exists in the first place. So then if you start delineating that and saying, well, there's actually a whole, you know, family tree of of, of different (laughs) species, but the way, I, the way that I interpret it is that, you know, you do have, in the animal kingdom, you do have diversity within a species. For example, you have species, many species like hominids ourselves are dimorphic, meaning that the male and the female of the species have different characteristics. The males, for example, in, in, in the primate world, males are typically bigger than females, at least 15% bigger, sometimes 50% bigger. Right. Um, You also have uh, differences, you know, in animals are juveniles and sometimes they're smaller and they have, you know, they grow into them, you know, a larger, different looking type of creature. But I think another thing to consider is that, you know, you you potentially do have um, different subspecies. Um, For example, a Bigfoot in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon or California, Northern California, lives in a completely different habitat than a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch in Florida, which is called a skunk ape, that's the local name down there, or even a Bigfoot where you guys are at. Right. These habitats are different, and these different species, these populations, breeding populations, are separated by hundreds or thousands of miles, so the genetic variations are different. So because of adaptation and all these other reasons, there are scientific reasons why sometimes a Bigfoot in a swamp might, you know, breed and, and, and adapt and look different than a Bigfoot in the in the coniferous forests of the Pacific Northwest. So that could be part of it. And to underscore that point, you guys have heard of, uh, of course, everyone has heard of a mountain lion, a puma, also known as a cougar. It's, yep. a North, it's the biggest cat in North America. But a lot of people don't know is so that there's actually 18 different subspecies of pumas. There are pumas all the way from Alaska to South America. And, the, you know, they have slightly genetic differences because of the different genetic breeding populations. So they're all pumas, but, you know, a puma in Colorado looks vastly different than a Florida panther or puma. So um, For sure. now one last thing I want to say is that I do dedicate a chapter in my new book to something called Littlefoot. Um, as I've investigated Bigfoot throughout North America um, and Central America, I've spoken to a lot of native people uh, from the uh, native American people, of Alaska to the Ojibwe people know, North America, that the, the Maya people of Central America, all of these different native traditions talk about sightings of little furry man-like creatures that are not Bigfoots. They're much smaller. They're only about three feet tall, four feet tall, huh? little hairy dwarfs. And good. while you could say that maybe some of those are juvenile Bigfoots, little Bigfoots, um, the traditions describe them as entire races or civilizations of little people, little hairy people.
3: Yes, yes.
4: Bert. And they have different a number of different names Haches, Hachesitehi, uh, Awakule, Anukans, Dwende. I mean, if you go all over North America, you'll find different native traditions about these little people. They're always covered in hair. So I do speculate in the book that there could be possibly two different versions a Bigfoot, a big one. And the little foot, a little short version, a pygmy-sized version, or a dwarf version. So again, it's all speculation, but there there does seem to be some evidence that there might be at least two different types, if you will. Yeah. And in fact, the yeti, the yeti of the Himalaya, there are at least two or three different types of yetis that are described by the the Sherpa people in the Himalaya. So uh, one is a pygmy, one is a giant Bigfoot, and you know one's queen. So.
3: Yeah, I mean that, and that fits. I mean, you think my immediate thought is is bears in general. I mean, a Kodiak bear versus a polar bear Mm -hmm. versus a black bear. There you go. A brown bear. I mean, so many different depending on where you you go. Panda bear. Yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like there are so many different there. That's why it 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 just boggles my mind when anyone even thinks that that's odd that there would be different
1: kinds. And and it, it what really boggles my mind is the fact that we. Find new species of birds, insects, uh, reptiles by the thousands every year. New species we didn't know: fish, dolphins, yeah. all you know, sharks, all the time. Yeah. Finding new species. So why would it not stand the reason that there are other species that we haven't found
4: yet? Yep. Sure, um, I'm 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 right there with you. There are uh, 5,000 new species are described every year by scientists. Most of those, as you said, are smaller. But every once in a while, there's something large and remarkable that's found. Um, There was a new species of orangutan described in 2017. Uh, There was a 250-pound taper, which is a large, very large animal from South America, was described in 2013. Uh, You know, the okapi, the komodo dragon, those were all discovered in the last century. So there are large animals are still discovered from time to time.
1: Well, and what, what gets me and it's something that we've been kind of digging around in for the last, uh, I don't know, probably six or seven months is, um, you know, we, we only live on like the, the top surface of the earth. And then there's the earth is thousands of kilometers, you know, wide. And so it makes you wonder what else is living underground that we're not aware of
4: or deep in the ocean, you know, Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely the ocean. You know,
1: we we talked about, not so long ago, about a story uh, about the moon and Mars having these large lava tunnels where these lava flows have basically carved out the Earth underneath Mars and and the moon. And, um, you know, I know we have a lot of lava flow and have had a lot of lava flow on the Earth. So what makes you think that there might not be, you know, or that you can't say that there might be these huge, huge cavernous areas under the Earth that... Who knows what's yeah, living Yeah, I mean, in.
3: I've, been, I've been in a number of lava tubes when I lived in New Mexico that just kept going and going mm-hmm. and going that we never even saw the back of. And I'm like, uh, we're not even scratching the surface. Right. You know, and there's so much, even in Kentucky, where we've got Mammoth Cave and all these cave systems. Oh, yeah. They, they said they, they're pretty sure they've only discovered like 10%. 10% of you. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah, Kentucky what's has some there? amazing cave systems, no doubt. Some of the best in, in North America, so... You're right. There's
1: a lot of potential there. So I wanted to ask you, what are your thoughts on, so something that I seem to hear a lot of when I hear people talk about Sasquatch and those types of things, or even other cryptids in general, is that they're very animalistic. That is to say that they're acting on instinct alone and there's no intelligence to per se. Um, what, what would your thoughts be on, on that possibility that, just because they don't communicate the same way we do, that doesn't mean they're not intelligent. Look at dolphins, for example.
4: Well, I, you know, I, I work a lot with animals at the, at the zoo and stuff. And, you know, what I tell people is that all animals are incredibly intelligent. I mean, um, look at an octopus. Uh, an octopus is a mollusk, so it's basically related to a snail. Uh, but it has a complex brain that fires about a half a billion neurons so I mean octopuses, and you guys have probably seen videos of this, they can solve problems. Like they've put like puzzles and jars in right. front of octopuses and they're like they'll look at it, study it, and figure out how I mean, so that's a freaking snail, <laughs> right? They can right. so all animals are smarter than I think we give them credit for. Agreed. But um, in terms of Bigfoot, and I write about this in the book, I I honestly think that Bigfoot is an in, highly intelligent species, not as intelligent as we are, but you know, um, for example, you know, maybe is intelligent or more intelligent than the other great apes like gorillas and chimps, which are pretty darn smart. And uh, I think that it it recognizes that we are a huge threat, um, that we are essentially it's direct, excuse me, it's direct competition and perhaps, perhaps its greatest threat. And right. so Bigfoot, I think, has adapted behaviors specifically to avoid contact with humans. I think that's why you know, the majority of Bigfoot reports that you read about, you know, when someone encounters a Bigfoot in the woods, it's not typically a confrontational thing. It's like the Bigfoot turns and, and walks away quickly or, or disappears into the brush. Um, I think they, they genuinely don't want any contact with us. And I think that they're intelligent enough to realize, you know, that that we are dangerous to them. Uh, so essentially, they're, they're as afraid of us well, or I, more afraid of us than we are of them.
3: Well, I mean, think about it here. I mean, we live in Kentucky. <laughs> you step outside of Louisville and you go to somebody's property. Guess what's going to happen? You know what I mean. And I yeah. I don't begrudge a Sasquatch for doing the same thing. For me coming into their home, their territory, you know, I would be cautious too. And I would either step away from something that I don't understand. I mean, they could look at us as if we're the cryptids, you know, and step away. But I mean, like I said, you step onto somebody's property over in Shelby County, you're gonna you're gonna get a, a, a shotgun blast across your head. <laughs> so.
4: I get it, and maybe they've they've it. been they have been shot at, or there have been accounts of that. But I mean, if you oh, look yeah. at the other hominid, even the other hominids that were around with humans, um, you know, up up until 40,000 years ago, fifty thousand years ago, Homo sapiens, our species, basically drove all of those other species to extinction: the Neanderthals, yep. the Denisovans, Homo floresiensis, Homo luzonensis. We know that there were a whole bunch of other types of uh species of homo that were around about fifty thousand years ago and we're the last ones you know we're the ones that are here homo sapiens so it's it's a fair conjecture that we essentially drove all of those other species to extinction and i mean not to mention and i'm not trying to be on a soapbox here but think about all of the other species other types of species that humans have have driven to extinction in recent centuries oh yeah you know hundreds yeah especially when we're dangerous. Yeah, I would say a good, yeah, yeah. a
3: good 99 percent probably of all the species that have gone existed were because of us. I was thinking we're, the other day
1: the the movie, uh, the movie, the um, Independence Day, the one with uh, Will Smith, and, mm-hmm. and and you know, there's a scene where where Bill Pullman, I think, is the president, and he gets a glimpse of what the aliens are doing and stuff, and he says they're like locusts; they move from planet planet, consume all the resources, and then move on to the next area. I'm like that's humans. Yeah, that's,
3: we do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, we just consume the me- resources. The how do you, how do you think we've populated the world? Right. Like exactly. We have? <laughs> yeah, so, and that's some of them point. just want to be kept alone. You know, and and I think that goes for uh, you know most um, creatures or <clears throat> things that uh, may exist that we don't know. They just want to be left alone. Yeah. Which you know your idea of you know the little foot. Um, fits to a lot of things we've heard before. That idea of these these smaller creatures living in in caves and tend to a lot of times be near caves and uh, things like that. Now yeah. we seem to be about three feet tall. And uh, there's some people that say that they're they're the greys, right. the aliens, the greys that they're not actually aliens. They're ultra-terrestrials, you know, and things like that. But I, I, yes, you know, there, that there's
1: there's a lot of animals that are that are born hairless and later get hair. Yeah. So me. why couldn't you have a, have a gray alien that later becomes a Bigfoot?
3: Right, I don't know. and we, we always look at things on a human scale. Who's not to say that these creatures don't live three, four hundred years at a time? You know, yeah. so who knows? We their don't know. It's really last hundred years.
4: Ultimately, it's all speculation, and that's sure. why you know when people re- when people try to refer to me or, or or someone in my field as an expert, you know, I know it's a cliche, but there are no experts. Yeah, we really don't know. It's all speculation, but, you know, I think when you, when you use speculation, you can, you know, be as informed as possible and you can try to speculate within the natural laws of, or, you know, the, the zoological yeah. world here in, in the field of cryptozoology. Things have to make sense, for, you know, from a, from a zoological perspective. There has to be a food source. They have to live somewhere. They have to breed. You know, all of these laws pertain to all animal species. So, I mean, that's that's kind of the uh, the, the paradigm that I you know I try to stay within.
3: Right. And that's one of the reasons I think that not only us, but a lot of other people respect your work as well, because there are a number of uh, cryptozoologists in the field that, that do simply just focus on them as monsters and create their own things. Whereas, you know, you come at it from a zoologist's perspective, and that if they're here, they're animals too. So they live within the laws uh, that exist here. Um, and how does that work? What, what Can we look at, at how a pattern of orangutan work? Could that fit to the pattern we think we're seeing here? And that's something that, uh, like I said, uh, g- gives you a lot of respect and why you're considered an expert um, or, I, I guess, just a fountain of very good information.
4: Well, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate that, but uh, ultimately, it also creates a lot of conflict because I do, and I try to be respectful of other people's opinions because everyone's entitled to an opinion. Mm-hmm. And as I said, we really don't know. I'm, I'm a very open-minded person, but I, you know, I do run across a lot of people that have theories that are just not, you know, palpable in my opinion in terms of, of being based in reality. And you know, I have a lot of friends and a lot of love for people in the paranormal community and the UFO communities. Those people have a, a certain type of bias because they were, you know, non-physical spirit forms and entities and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So that's kind of the prism that they look at things through. So they, they oftentimes sure. they want to cast Bigfoot within that same you know a prism or filter and say well you know bigfoot's interdimensional and it's a spirit but if you look at the evidence there's no evidence of that it's just a theory based on the fact that we haven't found them that's what it boils right. down to we haven't been able to find them so they're going through portals to another dimension maybe but I mean I don't the, the evidence that I've looked at for decades doesn't indicate that at all it just indicates that they're really rare and they're very intelligent and good at being uh, or good at being avoided or us, you know that they're they're
3: not easy to find. Well, for example, you know, we say that that, that that a lot of skeptics, that's what they'll say. Well, they can't, they obviously can't be real because they're so big we'd see them. But I mean, you know, you look at uh, serial killer Ed Kemper, the co-ed killer. He was six foot nine and was able to slink around like a cat and like just do wow. the, these things and hide and like just hide himself and not be seen and all kinds of things like that. If this, if this, if this species of Sasquatch or whatever is intelligent, you know, yeah. especially when it's the color of the leaves and the trees right. and things like that. Yeah. Here's Ed Kemper, six foot nine, fat. He's a fat guy too. He wasn't even. It wasn't <laughs> like he was like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He was a big fat guy with an ugly mustache and big glasses, and he still hid himself. It's just, it's remarkable. So he can do it. Sasquatch yeah. can.
1: He's the he's the he's the Sasquatch of serial killers. Oh no,
3: I well, yeah, serial, yeah, oh, I don't know. Ed Kemper's weird, but but it, but,
1: but yeah. So I mean, yeah, well, it's
4: this, crazy. And, and Good the, point, though.
3: In yeah. And the same
1: token, one of the arguments that I've heard a lot of is that you know something that's that big would have to eat a lot, and so like whole yeah. whole you know whole uh, herds of sheep would go missing or something like that. But you're also assuming a that it's carnivorous, um, right? <clears throat> Uh, be that it uh, comes out of its wherever to eat. You know, it could eat something underground or I don't know. It could even
3: mushrooms underground.
1: It could be a hunter gatherer. Who knows? So,
4: yeah. well, in the book, I speculate that Bigfoot is a generalist omnivore, which is exactly what a bear is. Right. And uh, interestingly enough, you mm-hmm. find a lot of Bigfoot activity or reports in the same areas where you have a lot of bear populations. So I think the bears and Bigfoot are, are, in a way, they fill the same ecological niche, and they're probably in competition. But there are accounts of Bigfoot eating everything from grass to berries to insects, small animals, deer, fish, mussels. I mean, they scavenge. I mean, they're they're opportunistic. So they're big animals. You're right. But if you're an omnivore and you can eat anything, then there's a lot of food out there. That you're right. I mean, if you were a, if you were a, uh, if you were a hypercarnivore like a cat and all you eat is meat, then that limits you. But if you're like a bear and you can eat whatever is in front of you, which is what I think Bigfoot does, then yes, it can support a population. And talking about population, and again, this is all speculation, but I honestly think that in terms of the population, we're looking at anywhere from 1,500 to 4,000 Bigfoots. Spread across all of the continent of North America, from Alaska to the East Coast to the South, that's that's that makes it an extremely rare animal. In other words, there's at least a hundred, or many, maybe as many as a thousand bears for every Bigfoot. That's how rare Bigfoot is. So um, if you look at it in terms of that, then you know that there there are enough of them to to sustain and have a viable v- population. But you know you're a hundred times more likely to run into a bear than a Bigfoot. That's my opinion.
3: Yeah, especially in the Smoky Mountains. <laughs> well, we're talking about going to the Smoky
1: Mountains in October. Maybe we'll run into Bigfoot.
3: <laughs> well, That or a bear, you know. Bear, yeah. <laughs> Everybody seems to see yeah, one when they're out there. You never know.
4: <laughs> I was just there uh, a month ago.
3: Yeah, it's a great... I was a Bigfoot
4: great... conference in Gallatinburg, and we had a bear running around the parking lot of the hotel. So, I mean, you're right. There are a lot of bears there.
3: <laughs> they are everywhere. <laughs> they're there everywhere. Yeah. They know everybody's got food everywhere and all that.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, I got a funny story about that. So, yeah. I, um, when I am on my honeymoon... And we went up. We drove up to Klingman's Dome. We went to Gatlinburg, behind him. I mean, we drove up to Klingman's Dome, and uh, we, were, we were coming back down, and there was this uh, bear with three cubs crossing the road. And of course, I stopped to let them cross the road. My wife's like, "Get out, and I'll take your picture with them." <laughs> <laughs>
3: People do that though. Yeah, man. Do that. and then they wonder why they get attacked.
1: Well, they get mauled by a bear. I mean, black bears are not as uh, aggressive as you know others, but still, I don't want to get out. With a mama bear and no. cubs, and yeah, so I
4: mean, yeah, like you said, if we're used to humans, they're more dangerous. But a bear, a black bear, is essentially a giant raccoon. Is what it is, a two hundred and fifty pound raccoon. But even a raccoon can be pretty nasty if you ever run across an aggressive raccoon oh, yeah, yeah. in your, oh, in yeah. your garbage dump. You know, they'll they mess with you. So you're right, but you err on the side of caution. I always respect nature. That's what I tell was, mm-hmm. you know. Just have a healthy respect for every animal. Um, one of my best friends who's also a zoologist. He and I have a joke about any animal will fuck your ass, you know. And we, we talk about that all the time, you know. Even a squirrel, if it wants to, a squirrel could f you your ass. I mean, oh no, yeah. You know? oh, so don't 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 don't, piss, don't no. piss off the squirrel if you can avoid it. Because if it wants to, no, yeah, don't let one get know? in your yeah.
3: house. It goes yeah.
1: nuts. <laughs> well, we just got I a mean, new kitten and. And my, my daughter wants to play with it all the time. And so she was trying to, to pick it up. And so she was maneuvering so she could get it into a corner. And I was like, go oh, back the animal into a corner.
3: <laughs> um, so, yeah. So uh, one of the cool things, you know, you talked about is uh, getting to, um, you know, do a lot of cool TV stuff and, and history and stuff like that. Um, and But I did notice when checking out your IMD that – our IMDB that we did have you on one episode of Ancient Aliens. <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah. I've been on the, the the lowest rated episode of Ancient Aliens ever. I was on that one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was really. The episode I seen. Uh, Yeah, we well. was on deep sea creatures. Deep sea creatures. So I talk about like uh, the the Kraken and yeah. uh, sea serpents, and of course, you know, they they kind of. Sp- I, I I give a lot of the background on a lot of those aquatic cryptids. and towards the end of the show, they try to kind of spin it into, you know, there's an alien connection between these creatures that the aliens are, are somehow responsible for because, you know, I get it. That's ancient aliens. That's what mm. they too. Yeah. But I've got a kind of fun, a, a funny story related to that. Um, there was another episode of Ancient Aliens that was going to be about reports of living dinosaurs. Okay, so you guys knew this, but that's, that's a thing that people around, yeah. around the world have reported living types of dinosaurs. So yep, one of the producers... Right called me and he they wanted to use me on that episode and they said yeah we want you to, to talk about these these reports of living dinosaurs and, and you know, what what can you offer or what, what can you contribute in terms of you know suggesting that these living dinosaurs have actually been genetically engineered mm-hmm. by aliens and that's that's why we have reports of living dinosaurs because the aliens yeah. are genetically engineering them kind of like Jurassic Park <laughs> and right. uh, so I said no I'm, I'm not on board with that at all. I don't think that that has anything to do with it. And uh, ultimately I never heard back from them after that. So I guess they moved on and found somebody. That somebody that would agree with that. them. That, that was maybe a little bit. So I, I get it. You know, I do a lot of television. There's, <laughs> there are certain things that they're looking for from episode to episode, but uh, you know, I think aliens could be a thing. I, like I said, I, I'm open-minded and I've seen a UFO myself and I, you know, who knows <laughs> yeah. that, you know, it could be out there, but, to suggest that aliens are behind, you know, a lot of these cryptid reports, eh, I think that that could get a bit of a stretch. But, uh, well,
3: let's let's talk about one um, in particular, which is Mothman, because that one is one that is ah. very very contested. We just went to Point Pleasant a yeah. few weeks ago um, oh, and cool. did our own, just having fun and read stuff um but that's something that is there there is a huge debate over whether or not it is a cryptid or whether or not it is uh an alien or whether or not it is a human in some sort of suit um i know you've done some research and stuff on mothman what are your conclusions on that
4: yeah i actually wrote a book called encounters with flying humanoids mm-hmm. and um it looks like man and also creepy like mothman around the world because a lot of people don't realize it is a global phenomenon right yeah right? Yeah, yeah for things sure like mothman and have been reported all over the place and uh literally those those legends go back thousands of years you can go back to the ancient Assyrians and the babylonians Sumerians. they had things like mothman in their uh mythologies um so that is one you know i don't really think of mothman as a cryptid because, again, a cryptid has to fit within the, the paradigm of zoology. Agreed. And based on the eyewitness descriptions and the behavioral descriptions of Mothman, it is not of this earth. I mean, it doesn't match with anything we know in the natural world. Its behavior is hyper Um There's a lot of weird stuff attached to Mothman. There, oh, there yeah. were a lot of UFO reports yeah. when Mothman was being sighted in, in 66 and 67 there were a lot of ufo sightings yep. poltergeist activity men in black so i honestly think that mothman is more of a supernatural type thing a uh you know if you want to look at it as an apparition or a, some people say it's demonic or interdimensional that I, I'll, I'll sign off on that with regards to mothman because it's not a zoological phenomenon it is a weird creature yeah. I've interviewed dozens of credible eyewitnesses who've had encounters with creatures like the mothman. And they're very sincere, um, but it's just—it's just too weird and too far out. But I—I you know, think there is something behind it. I think you know, again, it's more of a uh, sort of a metaphysical construct. But I definitely think it's something beyond our understanding that we just can't can't really even grasp what the mothman is or where it comes from.
3: Yeah, I agree. We pretty much agree with that summation as well. Yeah. I mean, we're big fans of John Keel and and those things and and yeah. we, we we agree with that as well it, we just did an episode because uh, we went to point pleasant we did an episode on mothman which was it makes it fresh but we did have a guy yell at us yeah. <laughs> and tell yeah. us that we were wrong yeah that there were research that there was scat <laughs> and that there was all kinds of stuff like in these sightings and i'm like nothing i've ever come across but he did he got real mad when we said that it wasn't a cryptid so maybe he makes his living off
1: of selling mothman as a cryptid yeah maybe
3: yeah maybe
4: yeah, I disagree. I know I know there's some folks that have found some mutilated animal carcasses out there at the TNT area. Yeah. Um, so but i never heard of scat. That's a new one.
3: Yeah, as this guy said, it was like um, footprints and scat well, and different things. Everybody
1: poops, man. There's, yeah. There's a book about it. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, so... Moth, Moth, if Mothman's interdimensional and he can't get back to his dimension to use his toilet, <laughs> he's got to go. go. <laughs> <laughs> he
4: just unbuttons the flap he's, on the back.
1: <laughs> it's like the old tummy pajamas. Yeah, it just flips down.
4: <laughs> but, but Josh, have, he has all those concrete over there in the TNT. area. I couldn't use one of the in that house. I mean, come on, man. He, he could. Yeah, he just could. right in
3: the center. Yeah, there. right Because there's a, drain, to... yeah, there's, there's a drain. There's, there's a drain in each one. So.
4: just kick it to the drain. <laughs>
3: <laughs> just eat a lot of berries. It'll. Go. Yeah.
1: Just come right. Oh my goodness. Uh, you never know what you're gonna hear on Fearscape. So. Oh man. Um... So, thinking about your uh, thinking about the books that you've written, uh, uh, what you know, what you might got or have coming down the pipeline. What's your favorite topic that you've written about? Do You have one?
4: Oh, oh man! Um, it's typically this is a disingenuous answer, but it's typically whatever I'm working on at the moment. I get totally I wrapped up and absorbed in whatever subject that I'm investigating at the time. So it changes quite a bit. But, uh, what I'm, I think what I've pretty much known for the field of cryptozoology more than anything else is my research in uh, my writing about, uh, giant winged cryptids. Uh, um, in addition to mothman, there are things called thunderbirds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. based, based on native American legends. And, um, I know that they've named a, uh, a sports car and a fine wine, uh, after these cryptids, but, uh, there, there are actually modern sightings of giant birds, and I mean giant birds with wings. That's like a, the the or how do you
3: say that? Is that is that correct? Well,
4: that, well, that you're close. That's that's actually a flying reptile. So we'll talk oh, about okay. that too. A giant bird is, you know, <laughs> got feathers and a beak, and that's you know that's a bird. And uh, there are reports of those, you know, giant airplane-sized birds. Right. There are also reports, and I get a lot of reports, also of things like Cetacuopel, Quetzalcoatl, which is a giant pterodactyl, a flying reptile. Um, so I get I get reports of both, and uh, they're both kind of referred to as thunderbirds, even though the, the like I said are pterodactyls or reptiles, not birds. But, yeah, I didn't know. The uh, difference. Maybe we're still here, but yeah they're all archosaurs so they came they all descended from the dinosaurs and the crocodiles okay. and stuff so they have some relationships but um yeah so i've written books about that and uh in all my books i usually have a chapter or two because i get sightings all the time whenever anyone sees a winged cryptid i'm kind of the go-to guy so i get a lot of those reports and um there's really not there's not nearly as much evidence compared to bigfoot i mean you don't have any even controversial photos or, you know, no one's found a giant egg or a nest or, you know, any physical evidence. So, and the sightings are not as common. So, so it's, it's more obscure, but I mean, you know, Still, you know, I think there's something there to investigate. I mean, there's certainly a lot of witnesses that have sworn they've seen these things. So,
3: well, it's because they're all out on Monster Island with Rodan and Godzilla yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> yeah. stuff like that, hiding out there. Uh, yeah, Keith Age, he seems no. to think everything's a damn owl. Yeah, a so. giant
1: owl, a <laughs> horned owl, or something. Yeah, so. That's what Mothman was. was. Yeah, everything we did, we uh, make fun of them
3: all the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think we're yeah, getting we're getting to where we're wrapping up. Um, but I wanted to uh, just see if you had anything in the pipeline coming up that um, you know you were wanting to kind of share some info about or wanted to push anything because uh, we're very very interested in what you got coming coming soon.
4: Well, I appreciate it, guys. Uh, sorry the time flew by so fast. I had some great questions. I really enjoyed talking to you both um currently uh, I'm working on a new book uh, I'm trying to get it out by the holidays um, I'm not really yet releasing what it's about because uh, you know I want to surprise everyone right but it is one of the major cryptids one of the top you know rocks are cryptids like Bigfoot so I think people will be very excited about it um and uh, in addition to that you know I'm working on some new TV shows uh, they don't really let me talk about that too yeah. much uh, until they, they're about to air but uh, you know, uh, keep my eye out for me on some of those, those favorite networks, where shows about unexplained phenomenon, different things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I uh, – sadly, you know, like many people, I, I missed out on a lot of uh, – you know, I do a lot of lectures and appearances at events around yeah. the country, and, uh, you know, most of those have been canceled this year yep. Um, yep. for understandable reasons. Uh, but I am going to be speaking at the Texas Bigfoot Conference in October – and uh, we don't know how many people will show up, but they're going to do a 50% capacity. We're cool. going to space everybody out and, you know, we'll all have masks on and stuff. But, uh, of course, uh, if, if there's anyone that's looking for a good Bigfoot conference, the Texas Bigfoot conference is entering its 21st year. Uh, it's got, you know, I always got top notch speakers other than me. You know, the other people are pretty top notch. <laughs> me, not so much, but uh, I, I do what I can. But um, well, that's pretty much it the mom You know, it's a, uh, everyone else is trying to you know socially distance and, and hope that this you know that we that we all get through this pretty quick and we can kind of return to some level of normals
3: absolutely and yeah we definitely have some friends and listeners in Texas so hopefully we'll get some of those guys to get yep. out there
1: and I guess they can find anything they want to know about you at uh, Ken gerhardt.com is that right
4: yep Ken I also have an Amazon author page if anyone wants to check my books. Okay, and I also have a YouTube channel, and I've I've started making little short, two to three minute videos that I produce that you know where I explain different types, cryptids like watch and Thunderbirds, foot and all these these things that we talk about. So you uh, can check that as well.
3: Yep. And, we'll, and to our listeners, yeah, you guys will be able to yep. uh, find those links either in the show post or just on separate posts within the network page or the yep. the Fearscape page. Uh, and even uh, we can even put the, the book page onto our website yep. there. Yep. So.
1: We'll, we'll get your stuff out there. We'll let everybody know where to find you.
3: Oh yeah, for sure. I appreciate
4: it, guys. Thanks so hey, much.
3: well, thank you so much, man. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yep. I love laughing and uh, got lots of things <laughs> to laugh about now. Um, but we appreciate your candidness and your openness. And uh, your willingness to talk to us, man, and uh, we we'll hope we we can get talking to you again sometime. All right, great, fantastic! Yeah. Thank you so much, like you Ken. Can, yeah. You are just a wealth of knowledge, my friend. Make sure to check out all of his books and everything on Amazon.com or or wherever you can find his books. You know, we
1: just really. Google Ken Gerhardt, and it comes up the first hit, and he's yeah got all kinds of stuff,
3: yeah, so. and, uh, you know, make sure to check out all the stuff you know when he was on History Channel and all that, all those other shows so um uh, but yeah, again, thank you so much, and thanks to Keith Age for hooking us up with yeah. a new good friend, so we appreciate that big time um so uh before we get out of here of course i want to get into our listener story this week uh we had one submitted via the website yep. um and uh i loved it so much i decided to not get a performer that i wanted to be the one to yep. do it this week so uh this comes from a listener all the way in the state of oregon um his name is david brinkman And uh, so he sent this to us via the uh, the website. So remember, guys, you can, uh, you know, go to uh, fearscapepodcast.com and click Click on report a submit or or report a a sighting.
1: If you see sighting, click on. Yeah, click on that. (laughs) So
3: anyways, this is what David Brinkman had to say. And it's it's a pretty remarkable story.
0: What's up, Spooky Crew? My name is David Brinkman, and uh, I live in a small town in Oregon called Happy Hollow. This story happened to me just a few months ago. I've only recently gotten into the paranormal, and this is why. I guess it takes something happening to you to stop thinking everyone is making stuff up. Anyway, this happened in March, right at the start of everyone quarantining for COVID-19. I live alone and was already bored out of my mind, so I decided to take my ATV out and go for a ride in the woods. If you have ever been in the Pacific Northwest, you know how thick these woods can be. So I'm driving around an area I have been in my whole life up along Adler Creek near my property. Well, it started getting late and I was cold and hungry, but I was a bit of a ways away from home, so I decided to stop and eat some beef jerky and provisions I had in my backpack. I stopped somewhere in the woods I had never been, but I wasn't worried. I had a compass and a GPS. I found a beautiful area where the sun was shining through the trees, creating dark orange rays and deep dark shadows. I sat on a fallen tree and began eating and just taking in the woods when all of a sudden I felt hands wrap around my throat. My first thought was some homeless person or something trying to rob me from my food and my ATV. I tried pulling the fingers off of my throat but couldn't get them off. They were way too strong. And I'm six feet tall and 275 pounds, so I should have been able to get this person off of me. So I put all my strength into rocking backwards and then flinging my whole body forward and onto the ground as to flip this person off of me. So I did just that. And I felt the weight of them go over me. And then I heard a slight scream from my attacker as I lunged them forward. And this is where it gets weird, guys. I felt the hands leave my throat. I felt the wind from the person being flung over me. I felt their shoes catch the back of my head but I saw no person. What I did see was the leaves on the ground crunch, scatter, and indent, but I saw no form hit the ground. I heard a loud, as they hit the ground, but again, I saw no form, no nothing. I didn't even bother to investigate. I hopped over that fallen tree, hopped onto my ATV, leaving my provisions behind and zoomed away from there as fast as my ATV could go and did not look back. Days later I decided to go find my backpack and investigate I made sure to bring my pistol this time I retraced my steps or I guess my drive And could not find that clearing in the woods anywhere That clearing that I found during the experience I had never seen it before that day And thought that that was weird as I knew those woods back and forth But I never found it again I've been multiple times since then looking for it However I will tell you this Two weeks ago, I went out back to clean up the ATV and take it for a spin, and there sitting on top of it was my backpack. I'm telling you, it looked 50 years old. It was all faded and tore up, and of course, nothing was inside. I feel like I'm losing my mind. A friend of mine from Kentucky suggested that I listen to your show and hear other people's stories, and I have. And listening to your show, I've realized others have unexplained stuff, too, so I don't feel so alone. I just wish I knew what the hell it was. Thanks for listening,
1: guys. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when this one came in, you know, you and I had some conversation around it. And, um, I mean, I, I, for me... I immediately went to guy in an invisible suit. Yeah, because that's kind of a theory that I have anyway. Is that
3: you know there's yeah like guy or or thing U- UT or something thing in, in a invisible suit. Yeah, which fits your kind of almost like your ghost theory that they could be UTs or ETs yeah, or or humans something and in some like sort of chemo- cloaking suit. Yeah, cloaking suit. So um, wow, David, that's. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I sure the heck wouldn't go atv and in those woods anymore <laughs> yeah. especially here's a guy who's lived there his whole life right and finds yeah. a spot he didn't know um that also makes me wonder i'm like did you did you like hit a different dimension or yeah. something i i don't know
1: well i'm also curious and you know he didn't leave a way for us to contact him but um he said he had a gps with him yeah i wonder if he pinged a you know, GPS location, if he could navigate back specifically to that same GPS location, <laughs>
3: probably didn't think about it. Yeah. I wouldn't know. Well, yeah. mean,
1: well, you, you got a guy trying to choke you. It, yeah. You know? You're just getting out of there. <laughs> right. So,
3: um, but yeah, thanks for sharing yeah. that David and to everybody else. Make sure to send in those stories, fearscape podcast at gmail.com or on the website or anywhere that you know, that we're active, even on the uh, network page or our Facebook page. Yep. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up and get out of here. Um, you know, make sure to go to uh dot com to check out all of our other podcasts and, and all that jazz.
1: Yep. And uh, just a reminder, store, uh, PayPal, anything that you can do to help us out really helps mm-hmm. uh, us to be able to still bring you great content to, to, to get these awesome guests uh, to, to do, you know, offers for shares and things like the book and everything else. So.
3: Yep. And don't forget the contest. So, you know, make sure to uh, share the post Uh, And hashtag Crypto Ken. That's hashtag Crypto Ken. And within a week, we'll be sending a lucky listener uh, a signed autographed copy of Ken's book. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. This has been uh, Fearscape Paranormal Podcast. And I have been Stefan. I will catch you on the flip side.
1: This has been Josh. The truth is out there.
3: And remember, folks, hold those blankets extra tight because things tend to get spooky when you're listening to Fearscape. Good night, everybody. Good night.
2: I'm so glad you were able to join us for that horrifying discussion. I hope they didn't frighten you too much. <laughs> Tune in next week for even more research into the nightmarish and haunting creeps and spooks that we tell ourselves don't exist, but we know they do. Make sure you have your blankets. That you hold them extra tight. Next time on the escape.